Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Hello, everybody, and we're live. Brendan Kay in the house from Master Talk. And today we're going to talk about what it takes to become a thought leader. And this is something that I thought of because you planted something in my mind, which is you love talking about topics that I'm deeply curious about. So when I ask you, hey, what should we talk about? You simply say, what are you most curious about? So I thought about that today and I thought, you know what? I'm actually really curious what Brendan thinks about thought leadership generally and how to become a thought leader more specifically. Was that a sneeze? (laughs) And so I want to dive in with first and foremost, defining what a thought leader is, and then let's break down what some of the principles you believe to be most important to become a thought leader. Uh, And before you answer that question, I just want to recognize that you have taken the time to really be clear on your own thoughts. And I think you're still developing your own thought leadership, but I do admire the fact that you're not only recycling other people's things. You, you do appreciate other people's insights and ideas, but you also take the time to craft your own unique individual thoughts. So let's start there. What is the definition in your mind of thought leadership? That's a fascinating, first of all, thank you for the kind words, Billy. I definitely take pride in creating my own stuff. I I get a lot of enjoyment out of it and sometimes pain, which we're going to talk about in today's episode. But I would say the big piece for me, my definition of thought leadership is someone who's able to communicate an idea that is A, never been heard before, that is thoughtful and practical for that person who's listening to that idea, or B repackaging an existing idea in a way that's never been repackaged before. Seth Godin is probably a great example of this, who takes existing ideas, but repackages them in a way or a lens that you didn't really think of. So those are my two versions of thought leadership and how I define it. Got it. Okay. It makes perfect sense. So somebody that has a unique thought that hasn't been heard before or is able to repackage it in a way that no one else has done before. Okay. So now When you think of thought leaders that live today, we've talked about a lot of them. You mentioned Seth Godin just now. Who are some of the ones that stand out in your mind and why do they stand out? Great question. So a couple of things. Let's kind of separate this into two categories, right? The people who create that unique thought leadership that is entirely brand new and the other piece of people who repackage it. So let's start with the repackaging because actually a vast majority of thought leaders really lie in category two. 
And we're talking about folks like Lewis Howes. Lewis Howes is probably the best example that I could think of an incredible repackager. So is Jordan Harbinger. Really, any Oprah is another good example as well. And these are individuals who either interview existing thought leaders, but ask them questions and pull out knowledge from that specific individual that hasn't been pulled out and repackage that knowledge back for the general public. Or they take existing ideas, but communicate in a different way. Let's take Les Brown as an example. Les Brown really isn't saying anything new, but the way he's communicating is unique. Right? Mm. Things like, you gotta be hungry. Billy, we're always talking about food on the show, but you really gotta be hungry sometimes in Les Brown's case. Tony Robbins is, also says it flat out. Hey, I learned everything from Jim Rohn. None of this is a rocket mm. science, but the way he repackaged it was brand new, right? The way that he thinks about it. And what's particularly unique to his repackaging is the way that he intervenes at live conferences, the way that he speaks to 13,000 people at once, the way that he's able to transform lives in front of your eyes in like two minutes. It's pretty amazing work that he does. So the knowledge remains the same in category two, but the repackaging is entirely different. Whereas when we think about category one, let's frame it in that way. These are people who are just are entirely unique in their approach, the way that they communicate, where you look at them and you say, huh, I don't think I've really heard this before in the context of what they're saying. Seth Godin is a great example of a category one thought leader where he's still repackaging some ideas, but a lot of what he shares, you pretty much can only get from Seth Godin. And one great example of this is the smallest viable audience. That's a concept he coined, and that's entirely unique to him. The other piece around is Lynchpin. It's one of his books. Lynchpin is this idea that if you want to thrive in today's workforce or in today's working environment, you don't want to be like everyone else because if you're like everyone else, you're going to get paid minimum wage. So if you want to be the amazing person, the talented individual gets paid a lot more and lives an amazing life, you need to be the linchpin, the unique, the person who stands apart from the rest. And the other piece as well with Seth is episodes on his Akimbo podcast, like The Regular Kind, where he talks about how to cross the chasm of ideas and his specific frameworks are very unique to him. And one other quick example I'll give but there's a whole show that we did just on him, is this idea where he questions the idea of being picked. Why does it matter to be picked? So that's the idea, Billy, is there's two ways to be a thought leader. One is to create content that is entirely unique. And number two is to repackage content in a way that's never been communicated before. Okay, love it. And let's dive into what I'm going to call our lightning round, where I'm going to say a person's name and even though it's not necessarily binary, where one is either one or the other, but there's always going to be a direction that they skew, right? So they're more in bucket one or they're more in bucket two. And if you don't know, because you don't know the person as well, then you could just skip. Okay. Gary Vaynerchuk. He's definitely someone who repackages a lot more. Okay. Malcolm Gladwell. Ooh, Gladwell is a fascinating character because what he does, and I always like these extended thoughts, something that will interest people, is he does repackage historical events from the past, but then explains them in a way that's entirely unique to him. So one example that he does in one of his books is around the idea that Bill Gates 
well, Bill Gates sure became who he was, but there's a lot of underlying factors that we don't really think about, like how he had access to one of the first ever computers in the United States, ever, because he came from a very rich family. So he had access really early. And that the ability to point that out is very category one, where you're able to create very unique thoughts from that uh, knowledge. So I would, put, I would lean more towards one than two, actually. Okay, yeah, I would agree with that. Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss is definitely two, in the sense that he's an excellent interviewer. He's actually one of the best in the industry. He asks people very specific, quirky questions to really get to the knowledge. But himself as a thought leader, he does share stuff that's unique. But I would say what's more unique is the way he packages it. So, for example, the four-hour work week. I mean, what's in the four-hour week work week isn't necessarily invented by Tim Ferriss. I mean, he has a whole book called Tribe of Mentors. It's literally just about everyone else but him. So I would argue he's a category two thought leader. Angela Duckworth. Definitely too. That's my personal preference. She's a grit expert, but like so many people have talked about grit. Okay, now I'm just hating on Angela Duckworth. She's a great human being. I love the way she communicates the idea of grit. I love the way she speaks. I love her TED Talks, but she's not a category one thought leader in my opinion. Okay, Brene Brown. Brene Brown's a fascinating one. I, I would put her more in a category one than category two. So a lot of people have talked about shame and vulnerability. I just find the way that Brene does it is super, super, super unique because of the way she communicates. It's so unique that it almost becomes thought leadership in and of its own, like when she talks about Daring Brave and all the incredible work she's done. So I would lean on one because she's an academic researcher that I feel her research is fairly unique as well. Okay, so we've gone through a few, and I want to pause there, and I want to ask you, who stands out right now in your mind, I'm going to challenge you, that is a number one, and that is mostly number one, meaning that they may repackage some things, but most of the stuff they're putting out are their own unique thoughts. Seth Godin and Patrick Bitt-David are the two people that come to mind right away. So Seth, because of course, everything he shares is fairly unique, because he's a very controversial guy. So a lot of it's unique. A lot of people don't know about Patrick Bedavid, though. Whenever he shares ideas on valuetainment, honestly, I never thought of it that way. So I'll give you an example. He has a video on valuetainment that I think I've watched. Like, geez. And valuetainment is a YouTube channel, for those who don't know. Go watch it. Patrick's got some amazing stuff there. And he has this video that came out a couple, just a couple of weeks ago, actually. And the video is called, Should You Pursue Money or Your Passions? So a lot of people just end the argument by saying, hey, you know what? You should do what you love and get paid to do it. Or if you do what you love, you'll never get paid. I mean, you'll never work a day in your life or whatever because you're not making any money. You don't have a job. That's another thing. But what Patrick says that is super fascinating is his seven-minute video. It's literally this table, like a chalkboard. And he puts a bunch of passions and then he rates it what percentage is emotion which is related to your passion, and what percentage is logic, which is related to money. So he breaks it down. So for example, marriage, when we think about the idea of marriage, should that be fully passion? Well, no, because you're dating some girl or some guy who, who has been, you know, with seven other exes, maybe not the best. This is the example he's using in the video, but I'm not like cartooning this guy. He's literally, this is literally what he's saying in the video. But you also don't want the logic, 100% logic. Oh, why are you with this girl? Why are you with this guy? Oh, well, they have a lot of money. So that's fully logic. So when he looks at that, he looks at the audience and he goes, should you do one or the other? Well, no, 
right? 70%, let's say, emotion, 30% logic. But then when he goes to baseball, he goes, I love baseball. I don't like baseball, but Patrick does. Yeah, I love baseball, right? And he goes, well, I don't think the MLB is going to be calling me anytime soon. So that's probably 90, 95% passion, 5% logic. But when we think about my insurance business, 95% logic or 80% logic, 20% passion. So just the way that he breaks down percentages, I've never heard that anywhere in my life. Or he has a whole other video, who to marry and how to marry. Mind-blowing. <laughs> I watched it when I was like 21 or something, uh, 23 or something, a couple of years ago. Amazing. And the other piece as well is he had another video. I could talk in hours about the guy, but I'll just give another last quick one. How to reach your potential as an entrepreneur. And what he says, and I've never heard this from any other thought leader, because most thought leaders just go, Billy, follow your dreams. Follow your potential. Don't give up. It's just like nonsense, level one stuff. It's not level one, it's just like it's level zero. It's not useful. Whereas someone like Patrick mm. says, potential is capacity. It's the capacity to understand where your potential is. And what he does in the video mm-hmm. to explain his concept that's super unique is he compares Muxibo, who's one of the shortest NBA players in history, with Shaquille O'Neal. So Muxibo, when he was in the NBA... Muggsy, Muggsy Bogues. Bogues, thank you. Yeah. Muggsy Bogues, thank yeah. you. So this guy's an NBA superstar right here. So when Muggsy Bogues was in the NBA, so he was very short, but he had incredible statistics. He played in the NBA for many, many years. But even at his maximum, even when he's playing 10 out of 10, he doesn't have the potential that Shaquille O'Neal has. But when Muggsy Bogues is sleeping at night, he is happy with the work he did because everyone knows he went all out. Everyone knows he did his best and that's what matters. Whereas Shaquille O'Neal, on the other hand, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, what Patrick argues, not Brendan, what Patrick argues is, yeah, sure, he's considered to be one of the great basketball players of all time, but he didn't play up to his full potential. He would have donuts all the summer. He wouldn't practice his free throws enough. That's why his free throw percentage was super low. So to Patrick's perspective... He's someone who has more potential than Muxibo, even as a middle player, but he still does more than Muxibo, but he could have done more. And then, of course, at the top, you have people like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant in the context of basketball who had both the talent and executed it to the absolute max that they could go to. So that idea is fairly unique to him. So I I actually think Patrick is more unique than Seth is, to be honest. Interesting. Okay, I wouldn't have guessed that. Okay, anyone else before we move on to the how do we actually think about this or what others are doing to develop their own thought leadership. Is there anyone else that stands out that we haven't yet spoken about either a number one or number two? I'm super curious about the number ones because it seems like most people are number two. Yep. Correct. And you'll be interested to know that for the first time, since you've asked me this question for the first time, mostly follow ones. Twos, I study but I'm always paying attention to the one side of the equation. So I'll give an example. So Gary Vaynerchuk is primarily a two, right? He's always thinking about, but to your point, and I love how you phrased it, right? It's not binary. So well articulated. I completely agree with you on that. But in Gary's piece, there are some elements, some lines, some strains rather of Gary V's thought leadership that is completely, utterly, totally a one. And that one is culture. He understands consumer behavior and culture so much better than any other human being on on Earth, besides maybe Mark Zuckerberg or someone like that. 
And I'll give you some example. Reed Hastings. Reed knows it really well, too. He's pretty good. But the problem with Reed is he doesn't share his thought leadership that much to the public. Well, I mean, he did. He had that deck that went around that was pretty famous. And I think that did give a lot of people insight into how he shapes culture at Netflix. But yeah. Fair point. I'll concede that. I'll concede that. Because you're right. I mean, frequency, fine. I'll concede the argument in the sense that you're right. Frequency is not necessarily an indicator of thought leadership, but rather quality. What are you actually sharing? So yes, to your argument, Reed's culture deck is fairly unique to Netflix. And I will contest that he is one. But in the context of Gary Vee, though, most of the say stuff is just general BS, if I'm being honest, right? It's a hustle hard, follow your dreams. That's not why I follow Gary Vee. I follow Gary Vee for shows like, he has a show on YouTube called Underrated versus Overrated, where it's literally, it's the best show ever. Whoever came up with this idea for Gary is like the best. Basically what he does is he takes brands like Starbucks or Dwayne Johnson, just random stuff. And he either says overrated or underrated and gives his logic. It's like... Just thinking about it gives you some goosebumps. It's so good because he like has a brand. Like let's say Justin Bieber and he goes, yeah, this kid's underrated. You haven't seen nothing yet because he's just getting started. Blow- and he's right every single time. It's like crazy. That's awesome. I haven't seen that. Yeah, you got to see. It. It's amazing. But you never watch videos, so it's okay. But in the context of Gary Vee, though, that's a one. Like, that's super unique. I follow that piece religiously. So, for example, when he called Instagram buying out to Facebook for a billion. He said that was a steal at a billion. Everyone thought he was stupid. And obviously we know today Instagram's worth is at least 100, 150 billion. So 150X on the money. So obviously it was one of the best steals of the century, of the decade, sorry, not century. But in that context, he's always right about culture. So I'm always paying attention to those ones. But primarily I'm always focused on that unique thought leadership. But there's two other names that I haven't talked about yet that are also powerful ones that people should know about. The third person that comes to mind besides David and and Seth, who are primarily ones, is Peter Thiel, of course. His book, Zero to One, every single page is unique. I've never met anyone with the theories that this guy has. I've never met anyone with the way that he thinks. I honestly think that book will live for centuries on how to actually build the future. The principles will be the same even in 3040 or whatever year we're Mm. going to be. So Peter Thiel is, I I follow his book religiously, and I really wish he was on more podcasts. I've listened to almost all of them, by the way, Guilty as Charged, because I'm listening to it just to get the one, two Thiel insights that I know I can only get from that guy. So that's one. And then, of course, I mean, we all know this. I probably blab about it every single episode. Scott Harrison is an absolute one in the context of nonprofit. I mean, he created a charity that was literally like, okay, you guys don't trust charities? No problem. All the money will go straight to the programs and I'll fund the overhead separately. It's like, come on, guy, like crazy. Or creating videos, telling the story of Charity Water, applying that logic, or creating a subscription-based model for nonprofit that is so enticing that you want to keep giving money even if you're pretty much just getting an email return every month. And obviously the the giving that comes with it. He's a savant there. I think he's a one in that area as well. So you mentioned principles, which made me think of Ray Dalio. What do you think about him? Oh, yes, of course, of course. Ray Dalio is definitely one. The only reason Ray Dalio is never top of mind for me is I had a lot of trouble finishing his book, not because it's bad or anything. I'm just terrible at reading and his, like, his audiobook is like 16 hours. But I have watched the TED Talk once or twice. And of course, his idea around full transparency and what he did at Bridgewater, super unique, super insightful, very much Ray Dalio. You can't really get that from anyone else. I completely agree. Okay, so... 
love that we have now a definition. We know who the thought leaders that are in your mind, who they are, if they're more of a one, if they're a two. Now let's talk about breaking down. And this is like super tactical, super practical. People can hopefully apply this in their own lives. How does one go about becoming a thought leader? I know it's kind of a broad, I almost feel silly asking it, but if you were to boil it down and break it down into, I mean, I don't know if step-by-step or at least some of the good best practices or ways in which you can start to harness your own thought leadership. Absolutely, Billy. And it's a fascinating question too. And I was super excited about this conversation because there's a lot of directions we can go through. Because what is a thought leader at the end of the day? How does one actually become one? So there's different ways, right? Some thought leaders, like the guy who wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, right? In his case, he just, Mark Manson just wrote a bunch of books and then became famous that way. Brene Brown did the same thing. Other people started YouTube channels and got famous that way. And their thoughts, other people wrote blogs like Tim Urban is such a one, right? He did the same thing with his blog, Wait But Why? So how do we boil this down? I think let's kind of break this in three easy steps, even if it's nowhere near as easy. Boom, three easy steps. Are you ready? Do you have your your pencils out? (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) He's about to lay down a infamous Brendan Kumarasamy framework. So go for it, man. We're on Clubhouse right now. No, we're not on Clubhouse, but you know what I mean. (laughs) So what's the framework? All right, so I'd say number one is have a vision for what your thought leadership should be. So I'm going to use myself as a personal example because that's the person I know best and we can relate that back to the framework. So I never really considered myself a thought leader until maybe two or three years ago when I started developing thoughts around communication and public speaking. But before that, I never really had a vision for that. I never had an interest either in creating content. So I think where this starts for people is the interest needs to be there. You need to intentionally say, I have a vision for what I want to share and why that vision is important for people. If you want to take it super seriously, you know, I would say the step before step one, which is step zero, is if you're just like creating, just go do it, go have fun, Mm. right? But for me personally, it was never really that because I didn't really like making videos and I still don't to this day, by the way. The only reason I tolerate it now is because I got an amazing team now. But when I started, it was like, oh, geez, it was horrifying. So the vision is super clear. Like just saying, not like, oh, this is who I want to be. This is what I want to stand for. No, no, no. Because you're just getting started. But rather saying, you look at the world and you go, this is missing. Or this person in the community is not sharing this. I'll give you a simple example with Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, when he started going into financial literacy, and that's what he does now, a lot of his thought leadership is around that, teaching underprivileged black communities how to save money, how to understand money. He's not the first person to think about this, but the vision for him, and he's not sharing anything new either, but the difference now is like, well, there's not enough black people who are doing that, one, who are an influential spaces like he is. And number two, they're not repackaging away in a super simple way like he does. Like understand your money, understand how to use it, right? Is it the way that he communicates is super simple. So it starts with that vision. If you don't have that vision, that curiosity to keep pushing who you want to be and what you want that thought leadership to become, you're definitely hitting a dead road right away. So that'd be the first piece. Okay. Before you move on to the next one, I do want to make sure we're crystal clear on what we mean by vision and maybe give another example, like who would be another person who you could say, okay, this person has this vision. What would be another 
example that would help illustrate what the vision is and also how you can think about that vision. Absolutely. So another good example I can think of right now is Chris Doe. Right, Chris Doe is the founder of The Future. He has an amazing YouTube channel with over a million subscribers. And the thesis behind The Future is super simple. He realized a lot of creatives didn't really have any business knowledge and nobody was communicating that business knowledge in a way that they could digest it in the creative community and in a free way. The, the other part is really important, in a free way, on video. No one was doing it at the time anyways. I mean, Chris started The Future seven, eight years ago or something. So yeah, he just said, yeah, let me just be that person. So he just started teaching classes and that's what led to it. But going back to your other point, how do you figure it out? Keep things simple and it's not as easy as it sounds. It's what's the reason? Like, why are you doing it? Why is it important to, if I just wanted to be famous, Billy, or make prank videos or any of the influencers I named, we never would have lasted because it's bloody hard to create content. It's bloody hard to push your brain to actually go to that place so that's the other piece. But here are some pointers I have for those of you who have an interest in being a thought leader in that, let's stay in that one. I would say all thought leaders, whether you're a one or a two, have mastered one key skill. And that one key skill is the ability to question existing knowledge. If you do not question existing knowledge, whether it's unique thought leadership, where you create new thoughts out of thin air, or through the way something is packaged and how it's packaged in the wrong way, you're not going to create anything. Even Jay Shetty, who just has a directed movie and it's the same principles all the time, no one was communicating it in that theatrical way before until Jay Shetty came with Prince EA and all those characters. So that's the key. That The underlining thread between every single person we've talked about in this show so far is the ability to question existing knowledge, which implies one's ability to question everything in life. So if you can't first master that skill, it's really hard for you to develop thought leadership because oftentimes, Billy, thought leadership sounds something more like this rather than this. So what most people think is something like this. So as a quick example, you're like sitting there and then you read a book and you go, oh, there's the thought leader. There's the thought. Let me catch it. Let me catch that thought. Oh, Billy, careful. There's a thought there. Let me catch it. That's what most people think it is. That's not what it is. Whereas the actual model is you're reading somebody's book or you're thinking of somebody's thoughts and you're going, that's wrong. Well, that's not necessarily true because, or that's not the best way in how that idea can be expressed. So I'll give you a quick example. A lot of people in my industry associate public speaking to negativity. The fear, the stress, the anxiety. Whereas I kind of looked at that and I said, well, if you want to master communication, why are we always talking about the fear of communication? Isn't that not going to help? Like, it's such a simple thought, right? And that's how thought leadership gets created. And that's really the piece. You got to question existing knowledge. Got it. Yeah, no, totally get that. I love that you frame the approach with that kind of thought behind it. Because if you just accepted everything as it is, you would never feel like you needed to create your own unique ideas. You would just accept everything that you hear. There's no thought to lead. Right. You got it. Yeah. In order to be a leader, you need to be willing to say that doesn't make sense, or maybe it could be thought of in a different way. Okay. So now we know we need the vision, the big vision. What next? What's the next part of this framework? Right. I would say the next part is once you're very clear on the vision, the second piece is not being afraid to create 
and form points of view and opinions about what you believe, regardless of whether those opinions are factual. Okay, let me repeat that again. The number two is creating thoughts around your industry or what you want to focus on or what you care about, what you think is, regardless of whether those opinions are factual or not. Most of what I say is wrong. I'm the first one to admit it. Most of everything I say is wrong. However, as I've refined those thoughts, as I test them out to see if something actually works, eventually those thoughts become true to the majority. Eventually it becomes super practical. I'll give you a quick example. You know, when I started coaching people on communication, I didn't really know how to do it. I was kind of just like, Billy, uh, I don't know, like jump up and down, do jumping jacks. And after a couple of years, it turned into... Why don't you do the random word exercise? If you just practice a random word every day, won't that help you with your communication skills? And I just started developing these little things that eventually helped, but I had to go through 99 failed ideas to find the first one. Mm. And same thing with a bunch of YouTubers. I mean, another good example that comes to mind right now, I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, every single person you name, all of their first videos are just horrible. So it's that ability, that willingness to create on a consistent basis. The willingness to create on a consistent basis. This pillar, though, is not entirely mandatory because there are exceptions to the rule. Reed Hastings is probably a good example of this, where he's not like creating thought leadership on a weekly basis, but he's still considered a thought leader. But we also have to keep in mind he's been at the company for many, many years. So he's still technically creating content. He's just not doing it through the format of a blog or a YouTube channel, but rather just actual company building where he's doing day-to-day as CEO of Netflix. But I think the key is – actually, let me phrase it to make this more general. We need to have a bias for action. Whether that action is picking up a pen – whether that action is picking up a paintbrush, whether that action is to write, do a podcast, or whether that action is running a company, you need to have bias for action because it's through action that new ideas get created as those ideas fail over time and until you find the golden nuggets that rise to the top. Mm, that's an interesting point because I think you have to think about the almost like you're testing these ideas and you're figuring out if the idea that you have can actually hold any water, right? Or if there's holes in that idea. Hey, what's up, John Asperian? It's nice to have you. Always love seeing your beautiful face. I don't know if you're on a walk right now. It's probably early. It's really early in the morning there. Yeah, it is. Because it's like eight hours later. So you're up early or you're up late. I don't know which one it is, but nice to have you, my friend. Okay, so you also touched on something which I think is really important. And maybe this is where you're going. If it's not part of the three pieces of your framework, I definitely think it has a place, which is you need a platform to share your thought leadership. And so you just brought up Reed, who probably has thought leadership on a regular basis, but he's not putting out a deck for all the public to see on a daily basis. And so I guess somebody could be great at coming up with thoughts, but they're really not a leader, a thought leader, if other people aren't following, right? So there might be some people who follow his thoughts within the umbrella of Netflix. And sure, that's a big company, but, and maybe some of that does cross over as people leave and they take that to other companies. So there is some element of thought leadership, but I think the real, and I mean the heavy hitter thought leaders are the ones who are heard and who have a platform from which you mentioned YouTube, you mentioned a book, you mentioned 
uh, so many different things, podcast, all of these are platforms, they're vehicles. And so I think an important part of the component is having the vehicle. But I'm curious, what is the third leg of your stool if the first leg is having a vision and the second leg is, actually, before we get into the third, let me stop there. As we're thinking of these ideas, what are some ways to do that? Like, what are, like, let's get super specific. Like you, you mentioned you have an idea and you're questioning an idea. That's one way. What are some other ways to literally, I mean, yeah, clearly you can pull out your notes on your phone and you could take a note as you have an idea, give yourself quiet moments. Most of the insights that we have happen when our mind is quiet. And this is because our prefrontal cortex is constantly overloaded, trying to solve problems and do all the other day-to-day tasks that we give our brain to work on. But when we're in the shower, when we're on a walk, when we're doing who knows what, but not doing much, that's when we start thinking of stuff, like when our mind is quiet. So that's those are some ideas. But what else do you suggest, Brendan? I know it took a few, but what else can one be doing to proactively start to pull these ideas? Yeah, two thoughts come to mind, Bill. It's a great question. Number one, I would have a notepad on your phone of all of the things that are controversial that you believe about the world and build up that list over many, many, many years. So I have that list that I'm not at liberty to share because that might get me arrested. But I think the idea is you want to write that down unfiltered, uh, completely unfiltered. And that really helps condition your mind to always question. That's one way. The other way that is more easier to implement is what I call question-answer. Somebody asks you a question about what your thought leadership is, figure out an answer to the question. So when Simon Sinek is being asked, how do we find our why? He goes, okay, how do we do this? So he's in the shower. He's writing some stuff down. He goes, oh, golden circle. What you do, how you do it, why you do it. And it's like, mind-blowing, right? It's like, whoa, so good. I'm curious. I would actually love to introduce Simon once, have a coffee with them and say, how did you figure that out? What was the thought process behind the circle? But I would say for me... Right it, for me with master talk because I was like to go back to the stuff that I know. It wasn't super complicated. It was more like, what question do you have around public speaking? And then somebody would ask a question, and then each video was just an answer to that question. So what I would start thinking about if I was a thought leader, actually, if if you want to be a thought leader, is write ten questions that you're the most you're the most curious on to answer for mm, yourself. Okay. So, for example, one question I ask, I used to ask, well, I mean, I still do, questions I ask myself is, what is my unique contribution to the world? What do I want my legacy to be? Because those questions fascinate me. There's other questions around, questions like, what is the thought that I can share that can help the world that only I can share? That's a question I ask myself a lot. Another question I ask myself a lot is, what is the world's easiest problem to solve? So these are questions that just personally fascinate me. And I really want to put an emphasis on this. Personally fascinate me. Somebody else, for them, their passion could be, I don't know, trying to figure out blockchain, all that stuff I don't understand. For them, them, the interesting question (laughs) is, why doesn't blockchain run an ETHRI 5, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And that's cool. That's interesting for you. For me, that's like, I don't know. Like, that's not interesting to me. So it's making a list of the top 10 questions that you're the most fascinated by and try and answering each of those questions every single day. And one of the secrets to my thought leadership is I've answered hundreds upon hundreds of different questions. Questions like, if you were God, what would you do first and why? Questions like, what are you pretending not to know? 
Questions like, if you were to die tomorrow, would anyone remember you? And what would they remember you for? Right? These are the types of questions I ask myself. This has nothing to do with public speaking, but it works my muscle to ask those questions. So that's an easy framework people can do. Yeah, I mean, I think the important part that you just said right there is so valuable. It's it's like flexing a muscle. You you work out the muscle, it grows, it gets stronger. The more you do that, the more you're able to lift things, or in the case of thought leadership, the more you're able to think about things. Okay, what else? I think you had another one, or was there one? Yeah, we'll get to the third pill, but one other thing I'll add is like, I'm not exaggerating people when I say I've answered. I literally, like if you DM me on LinkedIn and ask me for my question bank, I literally have a question bank of 250 to 300 questions I've asked myself. Like it's all documented. So I'll literally send you. Do you document both the question and the answer? No, I just document the questions. It's it's good feedback for me. I should be documenting the answers. But at the same but also notice how that's actually fascinating. Like notice how like I'm not actually fully following my own rules sometimes, but I'm following the basic rules that I'm setting, which is have a bias for action. Like do the thing that actually gets you moving. So for me it's not like I wake up and I go, I need to answer this question. Because now I'm in that mode. Right. So for me, it's like when I'm asking a question or I'm doing something, I just sit there and I go, oh, that's interesting. Like you do this a lot with me. Like when we talked about Lewis a few weeks ago, you were like, what are the opportunities of improvement for him? And I didn't have a good answer. But then after the show was over, it fascinated me because I want a relationship with them someday. So I was like, what if I was Lewis or his advisor? What would I tell him? And then I pondered that for like a day or two. And then I came up with ideas. But I just focused on that question. That question is not going to change my life. But I cared about it enough to ask. So that's the key. People need to understand that I'm not playing when I say I got 250 questions. Like it's literally a lot. But I also want to be mindful of the audience, right? You might be scared when you look at 250. Start with one a day. You know what I always say, Billy, is if you ask yourself a question every single day about life for 30 days you'll walk out a completely different human being. And I definitely think this applies too. Okay, so before we move into the third leg, what other ideas, I don't want to leave any juice left in that orange, what other ideas do we have, Brendan, for harnessing, honing, finding, I don't know, whatever word we want to use to develop our own thoughts? Right, the last piece in pillar two in the topic of creation, Billy, that I think is super fascinating and important to emphasize is exactly what we're doing now, which is community. Okay, Creating in community is the easiest way to stay accountable and get you excited about these ideas. There is nobody else on this planet currently that I'm networked to, that I have a relationship with, that has asked me the question, how do you become a thought leader? Like, what is the actual process? And is actually digging me on that process right now as we're, we're speaking. You're the only person who does that. And I'm very grateful because it pushes me to come up with better answers and to also ponder it on my own after the show's over. So I highly recommend people find that those people in your community. Obviously, Billy's one of a kind. But for people in general, it's asking questions. Just that curiosity is enough. So for me, one thing I like to do, I vet my friends this way, actually. It's kind of a fun fact. Like, I go up to random strangers and I just go, what's something that you care about? Like, what's your passion? If you could share three lessons with me, what are those lessons? Like, I freak them out with really hard questions. So people who go, hey, I'm not comfortable answering that, they're not my people. I just go, no worries. Don't talk to me. I have a short life. (laughs) Whereas people like you, and I ask, you just sit there and you're like, these are the people I like. They go, well, I don't really know, Brendan. 
but give me like 37 seconds I'll give you an answer and then they go they start doing this and then I go those are the my people because it's not I don't care if you know the answer to the question mm-hmm. just the fact that you're fascinated enough to ask it or think about it that gets me really excited so you want to cling on to people like that because that's what gets you excited about developing your ideas further and further mm, great point I love the idea of community and accountability and let's face it you have a community within YouTube which you have to keep coming up with thoughts to serve them. So serving your community plus collaboration is a great form of building and, and giving yourself more opportunities, more, more at bats, really. Like every time you and I have a conversation is like another at bat. I know you're not a baseball guy, but the more at bats you have, the better you get. And the more chances you have to think about things and to hone your own thought leadership. So we talked about vision first. That's one big leg. And then the creation, that's another big leg. What's the third big leg? Right. And I love that you pushed me on the create piece and then we'll get to the third leg. As people also need to understand, since we're here and we're having this honest conversation with the group, is you'll notice in the way that I've, I'm doing this conversation with Billy right now, I'm genuinely curious. Like I genuinely want to figure this out. But I'm not entirely sure myself either. But the point that I want to drive here is notice how I don't care about being wrong. Notice mm. I, I don't have that judgment where it's like, you know, actually, Billy, I'm not really comfortable having this conversation because what if I say something wrong? I have a brand, you know, a master. Like, notice how, like, I really don't care. Like, it's really like, no, 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 let's find the answer to this. Even if I've literally been on hundreds of shows, I never get tired of this because I'm always like, I want to keep pushing. So that's the key. I really want people to understand that piece as well. It's that idea of like, just not caring, just caring more about just the journey. Like that constant, like even in 40 years, I'll still want to do this with you. Yeah. It's like, let's get on like a LinkedIn. Well, at that point, we'll probably have like a flight that's going to be easy back and forth in 40 years, hopefully. Fingers crossed, we do well. We'll teleport. Yeah, we'll teleport. <laughs> we'll do well financially and like we could fly out to each other or whatever. We can dream big. That's the key. But like it would probably be more in person, but it would still be there because I still want that juice until I'm dead. And that's a piece that's also important. Number three is picking one medium and sticking with it. This is where most thought leaders go wrong, is they try and do all things for all people. And more specifically, they try and create across all mediums for all people. Here's the thing. What you'll notice from studying the greats, like a lot of the thought leaders we admire today, is yes, most of these people today, when you look at their brands, they create everywhere. So Gary Vee is obviously the pinnacle example. He's writing blogs. He's doing captions. He's making videos. He is jumping from the Eiffel Tower and skydiving and making an IG story. That was just a joke. But you know what I mean? Like, he's literally doing everything. <laughs> I was like, he did? No, he didn't. No, that, was, that was just me kind of playing. Because he's just like, he's like outlandish, right? You kind of look at this guy yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah, totally. he's spending like 7,000 gajillion dollars on media. And I, I got like a tin can in my mom's base. And I'm like, okay, so I guess I'm not a thought leader, <laughs> right? So I think the key is we need to keep in mind at the end of the day, Gary's main video source, his main video source, thought leadership medium is video. When he's keynoting, giving a speech, doing a video of him just talking and ranting, not podcast, he's horrible at podcasts, right? He's like always interrupting people and he's like, blah, blah, blah. no, no. When he's like, when the full attention is on him, he's on a keynote, he shines. But Seth Godin, who's also incredible at keynotes, incredible at podcasting, his main medium is still blogs. 
That's what he loves. He loves writing books. That's what he's excited by. That's his main medium. And people get lost in the distribution, Billy. When they look at someone like Seth Godin, they go, well, he's creating in like 7,000 different areas. So I guess I can't be a thought leader if I'm not creating in 7,000 different areas, which of course is wrong. You only need to be good at one of them. So the third piece is really picking one medium, sticking to it, and being consistent with it. So when I looked at the landscape, this really just goes back to your just honest, like, what do you like to do? What is the medium that will keep you the most sustainable? Rain and our good friend Travis on LinkedIn, for him, it's not even video technically. Well, it is video, but not in the way that we think about it on YouTube. It's live streams. He likes mm-hmm. engaging with people, but you don't see him writing blogs. You don't see him doing anything else like that. So when I looked at the landscape, I did the same thing. I kind of looked at every social media. I looked at everything. And I was like, okay, well, Seth Godin is a New York Times bestseller. Do I just write a book? Thought leadership was like, uh, I kind of hate books. And I don't think I'll make the Times list with no influence. So that doesn't work because no one's going to read my freaking book. <laughs> it has 300 pages. So that didn't make sense in my head. And then I went to podcasting. And I was like, podcasting is fun. But podcasting is hard to search. It's really hard for people to find. It's really hard for people to consume. You kind of have to send it individually. And it's like, eh. But I'm, I'd be good at it. But it's not what I want to do. It's not my number one priority. So then I went to blogs and I was like, hell no, Brandon ain't writing a blog. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that is not. Like, look. I love it. I'll take credit where it's due. I'm good at some areas. I'm good at some things. Absolutely. You can call me a category one, two, whatever. But yeah, Brandon ain't writing a blog anytime soon. That's not going to happen. Unless it's a copy. <laughs> you got to be honest with yourself, man. You got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Unless it's a copy paste from my YouTube scripts, which it is secretly on my LinkedIn page thing. But the key is, is like, nah, Brandon ain't writing a blog. So, but when I saw YouTube, I was really bad at YouTube. Like most of us are in video, but I knew this was the medium, especially in the context of what I do. Because like public speaking, you want to know what the person looks like, what they sound like. It didn't, it didn't make sense to for it to be a podcast. And of course, we all know this. Actually, not many people know this, but it's worth emphasizing. It doesn't matter how how mature YouTube is as a platform. YouTube is by far the best distribution platform in the world currently in the free category. Even if you're 10 years late, it is the best distribution term, period. It is the second biggest search engine after Google, right? It's just, that's what it is. Right, So YouTube is the best distribution. It's much easier to find someone on a YouTube channel and it's much easier for you to share content out and get people to consume a five-minute video and get attracted to you and your message. So it made perfect sense for me to just put all my focus on video. So I ignored all the other platforms pretty much and I just said, I want to get good at video. That's my challenge for the year. So whenever I did Instagram, it was just to get better on YouTube. Oh, let's do an IG story every day. And I did a story like almost every day, like of me talking, mostly because I didn't know how to share other people's stories, dumb me. But anyways, we learn as we go. But the key is after a year of doing that, then I got really good on video and then my YouTube channel started to scale. So it's about picking one medium, sticking to it and having the self-awareness of understanding which medium is for you. Okay, before we move on, I have a couple more questions and then we'll conclude this epic conversation. I love it. That's pretty good. good. Yeah, yeah. And Ren and I joked that we're going to do a 30-minute session one of these days. And I thought this one might be, but like, it's just not going to happen. So, (laughs) okay, so man, check this out. We now know that you have to have the vision. You have to be willing to create. And the creation of the thought leadership is very important. You shared some phenomenal ways to do that. And then you got to pick a medium 
and stick to that medium. I'm a big believer in one of the things that you talked about, which is sustainability. And I, when I interviewed uh, Mark Schaefer, he talks about this idea of do what you can do sustainably, have a sustainable interest. It doesn't need to even doesn't even need to be your passion to your point. You don't necessarily love making the videos, but you know, you can do it over and over and over again. You know, you can do it consistently. You know, with the right team around you, you can do it for the long term. And I think no matter what lane you pick, make sure that you have long term sustainable systems built around it so that you won't ever stop because you got to keep doing it. Now, I say all that, and here's the question How do you know? what the right one is for you. Because you've said you have self-awareness and so you made it sound very easy. You said, okay, I know I'm not going to be the writer. I just don't, I just don't do that. You know, it's not going to be what I'm going to do. I'm not going to write a blog. You're not going to write a book because you don't have influence. You, You mentioned all those things. So how does someone listening or watching right now make the decision? Cause it is a big decision, right? If it is going to be something you do long term, it is. How do you know you're making the right decision? Obviously, the easy answer to this to kind of it's my cop out. You got to create on all mediums and see what you like. It's kind of like restaurant, right? You go to a restaurant. There's a bunch of stuff on the menu. So you look at the things on the menu and you go food with you. I'm sorry. I mean, I guess we have this in common, right? We go to all the ramen places and every ramen place has a different type of ramen. I just love food. It's just my fave. But yeah, absolutely. And I'm getting some ramen on Saturday too. But anyways, Mm. but the key is... Text me the Yelp. I want to look at the pictures of the place you're going. (laughs) Sure. My buddy's taking me some random notes, but I'll definitely let you know. But anyways, so in the context of that, you could pick a bunch of things. There's a lot of great things on the menu, but the only way you know which one works for you is you got to try a bunch of stuff. Why right? you try this? Oh, let's try the tempura today. See what happens. Let's try the dessert. And you go, ah, oh, the desserts. It's good, but it's not worth seven bucks. Let's be honest here. And then you got and then you go through. Which I love, Donna. Donna, you're awesome. Thanks for always being here. But yeah, so that's the key, right? You go through the different desserts. You go through the different meals, and then eventually you go, oh, this one's really good. And that's why when I do ramen, I don't complicate things, Billy. I always get a pork spicy, and it's always amazing. I was like, <laughs> I love spicy. I love pork. Spork spicy. Just thinking about it, it's like, mmm. Brendan ain't touching no miso, okay? He's like going straight to that. <laughs> he's going straight to that pork spicy. But Brendan doesn't know that pork spicy is the soup. He's got to try some other. There's that one time, Billy, I go, you know, I want to try the miso. And I'm like, man, 15 bucks. Oh, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> right? So, so that's the key, right? Try a bunch of stuff. Just try. Don't be afraid. This doesn't even cost you money like at a restaurant. You might have to blow hundreds of dollars trying everything. This won't cost you anything but your time, right? Nothing but your Yeah. How long though? How long should you try before you say, okay, this isn't for me or this is for me? Right. So, so this brings us to the other piece that I think is the most important piece of the conversation. And I guarantee you 99% of thought leaders don't do this. And the 1% of the people I named in this conversation with you do this. I'll repeat this one twice because it's so important. Think about your personal brand in decades, not days. Think about your personal brand in decades, not days. Seth Godin is probably the best example of this. He started his blog in the 1990s. People know what that is. This is like before the internet. 
was big. It was just getting started. There was like dial-up connection. It was like crazy. You couldn't even email money back then. It was nuts. That's when Seth Godin started his blog. And he hasn't missed a day in like 25 years. And that's what's made him successful today. He's a top 10 blog in the world now. Why is that? Because he showed up consistently. He showed up most of the time. And he showed up, more importantly, with intention. Mm -hmm. Intention. He was like, no, I'm just going to show up on this blog. I'm going to make that decision, stick with it for the next 20, 30 years. Most people don't do that. Most people think about their personal brand in days. Okay, so totally agree that is a phenomenal lens to look through. And as you're experimenting, which you advised, like sample, like go and taste test every single medium that you have at least a remote interest in and see if you like it. But it's not just about you liking it. There's got to be some other things because to your point earlier, you don't necessarily love video, but you're still doing it. What are the other factors that you're weighing and thinking about to make your ultimate decision? Absolutely. So that's the overarching principle, right? Decades versus days. But then we apply it back into the micro. So the day-to-day. So the day-to-day sucks, right? When I started the YouTube channel, I was like, Jesus Christ, like, I don't want to do this. But I thought about it on the macro. So macro means in decades, right? 10 years from now, where could Master Talk be if I just produced one a week? Well, if I want to play for 10, 20 years, Billy, with that mindset in place, I don't need to make a YouTube video every day. Because that's not the point of Brendan's content creation strategy. The point of my content strategy is to make my content live forever and to keep creating consistently over the course of my life. So if I think about it just mathematically, once a week, 52 videos, let's say 50 to keep it simple, 50 YouTube videos a year, after 10 years, that's 500. 500 high-quality, thoughtful videos on public speaking and communication. What difference would that make, that end result, thinking about the end result, what difference does that make to the world? And then I thought about that end state at the beginning when my YouTube channel had like 65 subscribers. And I was like, I'm really enticed by that vision. And now we're in year two of that vision, year two and a half. And I'm really starting to see that. Now we're at 110 videos. And I'm like, yeah, if I play for 400 more videos, this thing is going to really impact a lot of lives. But I thought like that from day one. So going back to how we think about content creation, when you go back to tasting all of this stuff, don't just taste. Picture yourself eating the same thing for 10 years. It's kind of like when you get married, right? Don't focus just on the short-term stuff. Don't focus just on who they are, what they like. Oh, yeah, I like ham. Does that matter if you're married to them for 10 years? Who cares if they like (laughs) ham? Just buy them some ham. But let me tell you something, Billy. If your wife or husband wants kids and you don't, sure, maybe the short-term might be good, but the long-term ain't going to be fun. That's true. It's not going to be fun because you're going to constantly argue about I want kids, you don't want kids, and nobody's right or wrong. You just don't clash. So, for example, when we think about that in content strategy, it's the same game. Sure, I could make a blog, right? I could create a blog. It's not hard to do. But, boy, just thinking about doing this for 10 years, like I imagined myself at 30 writing this blog, and I just picture myself like this. Mm. Like just dying. Same thing with live streams. The reason this live stream is fun is because it's sporadic. It's not like we have to be on Thursdays at six. And I'll be honest, I would hate my life if that was the live stream. 
because there's going to be one Thursday in two and a half years where I want to be somewhere else. I want to meet you in person and go clubbing with you. But we have to be there for six because we promised our audience. And I'm just like, well, this sucks. I don't want to create content like that. I'm going to be miserable for the next 10 years on a live stream, on a cons- on like on a scheduled one. Not like this. This is super fun because we just do it whenever we want. But that is frightening to me. I don't know how people do that. Whereas a YouTube channel doesn't have that issue because you can create like 10 years in advance, literally. I mean, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. So, And I just post on the same thing. So that's the key. Do you want to be married to your media? Think about that. Brendan has YouTube content booked out through 2036, everyone. So if you want to get a glimpse into what it's like to batch process your content, he is the model to look at. Okay, two questions and then we're going to wrap. First question is, what is a commonly held belief in the thought leadership space that you passionately disagree with? Thank you so much, Donna. You're so sweet. Love that she shared my YouTube channel in the comments. It's very, you're very kind, Donna. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. I would say for me, Billy, that's a super fascinating one. I think the thing that most thought leaders get wrong is they focus on the follower count. They focus on the growth. They focus on, can I be on TikTok short term, build that up really quick? There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But where I really passionately disagree with is we're forgetting that these people are people. We're forgetting that these followers are actual people. And I always say this all the time and it bears repeating. If you want a thousand followers, have a thousand conversations. Most people want the pizzazz. They want the fame that comes with thought leadership. They want to be known, but they're not willing to talk. They're not willing to talk to different people individually, one at a time. And a lot of thought leaders, especially Lewis Howes, that I deeply respect, he said this so well. He said, when I was in my 20s, I would just go on any podcast. I don't care if that podcast has 70 million listeners, 7,000 listeners, or seven listeners, or even the person who's interviewed is the only listener. (laughs) The reason is because the focus was getting to know the people. Why are they interviewing me? Why is Billy interested in what Brendan has to say? Why is this person asking me questions about public speaking? That's the focus. And because of that, the people who have that focus, who are still focused on the individual in front of them, rather than the numbers around them. Like, obviously, my YouTube channel is a big number now, but it wasn't like that at the beginning. It's focusing on those one people and saying, I want to create for you. I want to know why you have an interest in me so I can figure out how to make more things to encourage more people like you to follow me. It's about having those conversations. You want to believe the number of dinners I would have with people in my audience. Even people message me on LinkedIn because I'm getting to know LinkedIn now. Fans who message me. I either invite them to my free training, which is literally a live interactive Zoom where I talk to them directly, build a relationship. Or if they have a presence on LinkedIn, I just go, hey, I would love to get on a Zoom call with you. You said you liked my post, would love to just get to know you. And I know you did that really well as well in your early days on LinkedIn. But that's the message I want to pass on. Is if you want a thousand followers, be ready to have 10,000 conversations. Love it, man. Okay, so such a great advice. And I heard you say that before, and I always loved it because it's so powerful yet so simple. And it's something that anybody could do. All it takes is the effort. People forget they want it easy. They want the followers, but not the commitment to those followers, which is you got to be willing 
to have these types of conversations. I don't remember what episode it was, but I was, it was one of my episodes of For the Love of Podcasts, and I was interviewing somebody, and they brought up the story of Taylor Swift. And what they said was that Taylor Swift in her early days, and this wasn't very early, but it was early enough to where she still was super popular, but early enough to where she wasn't the mega, mega star that she was. She was still very famous, don't get me wrong. But she had a group of fans that got together for an event that she put on, and they had round tables where she would go around person to person, almost like a wedding. Like, you know how they go around. I know you don't go to weddings, but you, there, there are these things where people get married. They're called weddings. Oh. And when you go to them, you go to them. <laughs> Brendan doesn't like weddings. Oh, he, just doesn't want, he just doesn't want, he doesn't want to foot the bill himself. He'll go to a wedding. Especially <laughs> serving, so especially if they're serving ramen. Anyhow, Taylor Swift goes to a wedding. It's not really a wedding. It's actually an event that she puts on. And she goes person to person to person has a one-on-one conversation and there's somebody there who is documenting what her conversations are so that she can follow up with a handwritten note talking about the relationship or the conversation that they had. So this is an example. I mean, if there's somebody on earth who has super fans, she's one of them for sure, but it takes time. It builds over time. And imagine what that does to solidify the connection that she has with the people who already adore her, it just makes it that much stronger. When I interviewed Bob Berg, thanks to you, by the way, a couple of weeks ago, he sent me a thank you card, a handwritten thank you card. And it, boy, how endearing, how much does that make me feel a greater connection to him? Especially when he says something flattering and nice about me. It's like, wow, okay, I really like this guy. I liked him already, but now I like him even more. And so those types of things go a really, really long way. And I think it's important that you brought it up. Okay, so let's end with this. You already kind of set the stage by talking about something that people do that is a mistake, which is they think about the numbers, they think about the metrics, and they get so married to the idea of a certain volume of people following them. So my question is, what other mistakes should a thought leader in the making be mindful of so that they don't walk into a landmine, step on a landmine and and fall in and get hurt because you could make some missteps. What are some potential roadblocks or challenges that we want others to avoid? (laughs) I like how you phrase that. I don't think there's any landmines to avoid here. What I would say to my aspiring thought leaders is never, ever settle on the existing knowledge you have in your mind. And I'll be honest, I'll be transparent about this to all of you who are listening, who's mostly Donna, which we appreciate you very much. There are countless, <laughs> countless amount of times, everyone, and Donna, where Billy has told me that he's one of, I'm one of the smartest people he's ever met. Countless amount of times. But the reason for my success is making sure to ignore that. Making sure to acknowledge that and say, hey, thank you, I really appreciate it, but not letting it get to my head. Not letting it get to my head. Because if it gets to my head that I'm really one of the smartest people that Billy knows, then I'll stop learning. I'll settle with the knowledge that I have right now. I'll look at your questions and go, you know what, Billy? Who cares about these questions, man? I got a YouTube channel called Master Time. I don't have time. Like, very posh. I mean, it's not definitely not me. But the idea, I'm still a diva, though, but not in that way. But the idea is never settle 
on the existing knowledge. I don't care how successful anyone is or how successful I'll be or not be or you or how successful you'll be or not be. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you settling on the process? And most people do. Mm. When they start making the money, stop making that money. It's kind of like when you get drafted to the NBA. Kobe Bryant actually says this at the late Rest in Peace in an amazing interview. He said, you think the NBA, he's talking to Patrick Bedeva when he interviewed Kobe. You would think that everyone in the NBA is like these megastars, like super hardworking. You would think, not the case at all. Because they get comfortable after they get drafted. So until they get drafted, they're all maniacs, right? They're trying to get drafted in the NBA. And then after they sign a $5 million contract, well, I finally made my money. So what's there left to do? Win a championship, really? I have $5 million in my bank account. They start to settle. Whereas somebody like Kobe, and that's what he said in that interview, he's like, NBA was the easiest thing of my life because everyone just wanted to make money. It was easy to be the best basketball player in that generation. It was like hilarious. And there's a lot of truth there. And the truth I really want to zoom in on in Kobe's story there, yeah, it's easy to tell, to say now, Billy. It's easy to say that you won't settle. Not you specifically, but the audience or me. But if we're making a million bucks a year, ooh, it's not as easy. It's not as easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to settle. Are you really? Because if you're making a million bucks a year, you could just do whatever the hell you want. And that's why I respect, I have utmost respect for people like Tom Bilyeu, for people like Lewis House, for people like Seth Godin, for people like Patrick Bitt David, because they don't need to be curious anymore. They don't need to keep pushing what they want in thought leadership. They don't need to keep pushing the chasm. They have net worths of 10 to $100 million, but they do it anyways because they don't settle mm. on the existing knowledge in their minds. They don't settle either. Okay. Not settling is clearly 100% as important. And I, I want to make sure that as we leave this conversation, that we're super crystal clear on any other mistakes. What else, if there's one or two others, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I always love putting the screws in and just saying, okay, what else is there mistake-wise that we should be mindful of? In my opinion, it's being consistent across all mediums for a long period of time. That's another big mistake, like the opposite of what I said before, mm. around like you really need to stick to one medium. The opposite is a mistake for people who are getting started with content creation. Okay. If I started Master Talk and I built a YouTube channel, I built a blog, I built a podcast, you know how many people have told me to, to start a podcast? You know how many people? It's like ridiculous. Right? There's like a thousand people have told me that. And if I had listened to them, I would have burnt out as a creator. Because I was working 70 hours at IBM. I only I barely had time for the YouTube channel to scrape what I scraped in those two years. And I was still working 100 hours a week if you add the YouTube channel and what I was doing with the work I was doing in corporate. So yeah, that advice is so useless to people. Whereas people get stuck, they just listen to Gary Vee, but they don't, they listen to Gary Vee, but they don't look at what Gary Vee did. Gary Vee didn't just start creating on 7,000 platforms at the beginning. That's not what he did when he got started. He was on Twitter. He got really big on Twitter. Then after he went to YouTube, got really big on YouTube, then made a lot of money through VaynerMedia, and then he outsourced everything else to a team. Like That's what he did. Right? He tasted for three months, and then he just outsourced it. We can't do that. We don't have millions of dollars in our bank. That's not how it works. If you try and create on all mediums, you cannot survive sustainably if you're early to thought leadership in 99% of cases. So don't do that. Yeah, unless you have tons of resources and support to back you up, which chances are, if that's the case, 
you already have some level of celebrity status or you have the means to propel you on every platform that exists. And if you don't have that, you're making a mistake to take that approach. And so I love the fact that we talked about the importance of vision, that we talked about the importance of how and why we should be creating, and most importantly, giving you the steps on how to create. And then we talked about having the platform and having a very specific medium that's right for you as an individual. So I really hope that for those who were part of this journey, that you got some value, that it was something that you could apply into your own lives and let us know if that's the case, send us a a DM. Brendan, I know you have a, a class that you offer. Can you talk a little bit about that and how one would find out more information about your free class? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you want to join my free training on effective communication, it's a live and interactive training over a Zoom call that I personally facilitate. So it's not a recording. I'm there. I'm talking to you. I'm coaching you. So if you want to get access to it, all you got to do is click my LinkedIn profile and it'll be the first link in my featured section. There you go. So don't waste time. Go click on that link. You have an opportunity to have one-on-one conversation with Brendan Kay and learn how to effectively communicate. Brendan, thanks for your own thought leadership and sharing the ideas that you have on how to become a thought leader. Until we meet again, my friend, thank you everyone for being a part of this amazing conversation. Hopefully it was something that you found tremendous value in. Until next time, please do make it a great one. Thanks everyone, and we'll talk to you all soon. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.